Hello and welcome back to Political Division Re-Envisioned, or welcome to Political Division Re-Envisioned if you're new, with your host Nick Liberty. Um, first off, I would like to say uh, once again that I'm trying to get back to a regular recording schedule, so for those of you that have been following the podcast, as I've addressed previously with the election and my work as a political researcher up until recently, things have been completely hectic and I haven't had many opportunities to actually create my content. Um, but that should be evening out now, and I should be able to start putting out at least an episode a week, which is the trend I'm currently following, so I, uh, I'm happy to report that. Um, also, just a heads up for this episode, I don't really have a particular topic in mind. I'm kind of trying something new for just a random episode to see if people like it. So this episode is going to be really more kind of free form and I'm just going to kind of go into like some topics that are just random off the top of my head. Uh, two of the things I kind of brainstormed literally before clicking the record button a minute ago was uh, I was thinking about talking about just a general election recap and going over why we saw some of the results that were a surprise to many people in certain states, but not really necessarily that much of a surprise. Um, maybe go over a little bit of Trump's announcement that he's running for president again uh, and then maybe just touch on the whole Elon Musk Twitter situation, which has been blowing up the world recently. And I think I'm going to end with that and kind of go through some of my favorite uh, most recent posts by Elon Musk. So uh, if you guys like this new format or if you don't like this new format or if you have anything to say at all, please feel free to reach out to me at political division reenvisioned at gmail.com. Again, that's the same name of the podcast at gmail.com. All one word. And I'm happy to receive any criticisms you may have, advice, um, input, you know, even if you just want to call me a jerk or something, that's cool too. <laughs> so I uh, hope you guys enjoy the episode and I'll uh, get into it here in a moment. All right. So first off, like I said, I'm going to get into just a kind of general recap and, you know, just overall dive into the midterm elections and everything that happened and how that we're 20 days past and the, the dust has settled over the, the battlefield of the midterms. Um, so for those that aren't familiar or haven't read my description or anything, don't know anything about me, I worked in political research up until the end of the election cycle and I worked with Republican candidate campaigns indirectly. I worked for a researching organization so I was very familiar with New York politics, and we had a, a shocker of an election cycle in New York, even better than I would have imagined. Um, with my other episodes, if you're new to the show, I try to kind of remove my bias from things in this particular segment because it's more freeform. I'm going to be honest with my bias, and that especially in New York, we had a lot of really bad Democratic candidates that I'm glad got their butts kicked. <laughs> Normally, I uh, try to play both sides a little bit more and come at it from a from a centrist view. But in this particular episode, I'm going to be a little bit more upfront with my right leaning bias that I've never hidden, but I try to remove to have an honest discussion about things. So if you're not familiar in New York, we almost got the governorship. We almost ousted Kathy Hochul. She ended up winning by like a, a very slim margin when, when considering New York's history. It ended up 47 to like 50 point something, I believe. Um, and Zeldin was really close. But the big success story in New York was that we did manage to unseat Chairman Sean Patrick Maloney, who is a 10-time or a 10-year elected Democratic uh, representative who has always considered himself like high and mighty. And he was the Democratic Campaign Caucus chairman, the DCCC, <laughs> which is far too many C's to have a proper acronym. 
but that hasn't happened on either side of the aisle, a DCC chair or an RCCC chair or whatever the Republican equivalent is. They haven't been unseated in a race in like five decades, like 50 years or something like that. So that was crazy. And we also flipped four seats red in my home state. So that actually between New York and California, surprisingly, the Republicans actually squeaked out the House majority, which is wild because those are the two states that historically Republicans have not done very well in. Um, so that was incredible. And as I just said, yes, we did, in fact, uh, get the, the majority on the Republican side, whereas the Senate is currently uh, projected to be either a 50-50 or a 49-51 split in Democratic favor because of the tiebreaker majority depending on the runoff in Georgia, as I'm sure everybody that's listening to this is familiar with. Um, so I figured I'd touch on the, the Senate races a little bit now that I got my little victory lap on New York and my hard work paid off here. Um, so one of the biggest upsets for people was the Fetterman-Oz race, which I have my own personal opinions of both Fetterman and Oz, and neither one of them is very favorable. A lot of people were shocked that Fetterman won, given his health complications and his uh, potential inability to actually serve the position. I was not pleased with the result of that election, but I wasn't surprised with it, considering that they took a weak candidate across the board, Fetterman or, um, Oz. Fetterman was also a weak candidate, but at least he had roots in his community. The problem with Oz is that he does not have roots in Pennsylvania, and they kind of took a candidate that would be weak in almost any race and put him in a community where he would be even weaker. So I was not shocked to see that he lost that race. I also was never a big Oz fan to begin with. I would have preferred him to Fetterman simply because I believe he could serve the position better because Fetterman, like it or not, he had his stroke months ago. He's now at the point in stroke victims where they don't typically show much more improvement. And while I, I sympathize for him and his family, it, it's unreasonable to put him in a position that they're putting him in and for him to put himself in that position for his doctors to sign off on it. Because no matter what you want to say about him, if you listen to the debate that he was in, he's not able to articulate his thoughts. And the argument from his campaign is that, well, he's able to think clearly, he just can't articulate his thoughts, which would be fine if he wasn't in a position that the job is to articulate your thoughts and argue for your constituents and, and make decisions and debate. The whole point of being a senator is to have debates, is to, to convene with committees and to convene with members of Congress to, to prove why what you're supporting is what you're supporting, not just to cast a vote. So if you want to say that he's capable of doing maybe 65% of the duties of a senator, that would be fair if he really is cognitively aware in his own mind, but to say that he's perfectly fine to serve is unrealistic and in my mind a bit crazy. And again, it's nothing against him. It's just that the job is to debate and he clearly is not able to debate and articulate thoughts. So again, sympathy to him for his stroke. I don't think that he should have been elevated to the position of Senator in, in light of that. Um, as for some of the other races, the, the whole Arizona outcome, that's insanity. That election was botched terribly. Um, I, I'm not going to go into like conspiracy nonsense, but I'll certainly touch on the absurdity of how that election was run in the fact that you have a state with about 1.5 million people and you still didn't know who won most of the races for three, four, five, six, seven, eight days later. 
Uh, that's insanity. And their excuse was that while well, they had the, the early ballots and the mail-in votes that were coming in and the absentees, but that doesn't excuse the fact that the day, the, the morning after the election, so like I woke up at, I think it was like, mm, no, I woke up at 8.30 a.m. the day after the election because I wanted to see the results coming in. And from that point when I woke up, Arizona's percentage of reported votes didn't change for over 12 hours, which is insanity. When you're talking about the day after, it's one thing to have slow progress because you're processing ballots. But when you say that the reason that, that we're taking so long is because we have these coming in, but you're not making any progress whatsoever and that number isn't changing and not a single vote is being recorded, something's off there and something's strange there. And it, it's not, it's not normal. So to say that at the very least, Arizona had some complications and some serious systematic issues with that election is the baseline. I would say that there could possibly have been some bad actors at play in that, given everything else that was going on with the special interests and the fact that, especially in the Katie Hobbs versus Carrie Lake situation, no matter your opinion on the two candidates, the Katie Hobbs, the opponent of Carrie Lake, was involved with ensuring that the election ran, which is, it, it, it's kind of like uh, putting the CEO of Marlboro in charge of ethics of uh, cigarette companies. You know, it's like, you really should have somebody that's unbiased filling that position, not someone with something to gain and a professional stake. And so beyond that, we also had Nevada, which was a, a crazy upset right at the last minute, which has people all up in arms. But most of these races, even in Arizona, they were still within stone's throw. So I wasn't really shocked by the outcomes. Arizona is the only one that really concerns me, mainly because just so much went so wrong with that. And that could be perfectly honest, but there really should be an investigation into that. And again, I didn't even plan to talk about this. This episode is totally unscripted and just right off the top of my head. I just kind of got into that because I was talking about Fetterman Oz and all that. But overall, it was an interesting midterm for sure. We saw an incredible voter turnout. And what was really just insane was that the Republican Party, despite only making very minor ground, got the popular vote, which was pretty cool. Um, and they, they improved their standing with a lot of groups that they've been historically low on. So I was pleased to see that. And I'm glad to see that um, the Republican Party is reaching people that they haven't reached before. And not just because, again, I do have a bias towards the right, but also I would like to see both parties reach people that they haven't reached before and find ways to, to work with people that they don't typically um, strive to. And that's one of the biggest things that concerns me with modern politics is that you have people that go after their own camps and just, okay, what do I need to do to win 51% of what I need? And that's really not beneficial and it's not what the job is supposed to be. When you're a representative, you're supposed to represent all of the people in your district. And I've touched on this in previous episodes. Uh, but the, the whole point of being a representative is to represent all of your constituents, whether they vote for you or not. And the fact that we have people that consistently win with less than like 55% of the popular vote year after year after year or term after term, rather, to me, that's unacceptable. And it's insanity. I mean, when you talk about representing people, you should be, you, you should prove to people that didn't vote for you 
that through your performance, you still represent them. And then so theoretically, when you run for your second term or your third term or your fourth term, your numbers should keep going up if you're doing a good job. If you're consistently winning by the same margin, something is wrong and you're not really performing in your job. It would be like if you had somebody that you hired for a position and they did an okay job enough to be passable, but they never, ever improved despite years of experience in the role. If you were a company and you had a manager that was consistently performing exactly the same year after year as their first year, you'd probably fire them because the whole point is as you gain experience, you're supposed to improve and be better at your job. Otherwise, why am I you know, giving you raises? Why am I continuing to keep you around? <sighs> Sorry, I'm a little out of breath from that uh, tirade. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that was pretty insane to me is, is how many... Um, how many people the right managed to reach and how just enough people the left managed to reach, which is counterproductive. And I'm glad that the right is starting to um, find ways to meet that middle ground. And I would hope that as we go forward, we can find more of that middle ground rather than continuing to make this divide between parties even wider. And I would hope that we could get people to vote for us, whether you're left or right, on what you have to offer not what you don't do. When we have these candidates that campaign only on, well, this is what my opponent will do. This is what my opponent says. This is what my opponent did. It, it, it's, it's cheap. It's cheap politics, and it's not what the job is supposed to be. You're supposed to be elected because you can do a good job, not because you can do a better job than someone who does an awful job. And that's what most of our candidates have been running on. But, um, yeah, so... Some people have been shocked by the outcome of the midterms. I wasn't really shocked by them. I was a little disappointed with a couple of key races, um, but the outcome was pretty consistent with what I would have expected. I would have expected a little bit more of a gain in the House for Republicans, but it's not totally out there considering everything that went on these last couple of years. So um, without further ado, I'll kind of get into my next impromptu segment, which is the uh, announcement of Donald Trump's uh, third run for election to president, and I'll get into that in just a moment. So I'm not going to go into terrible specifics on the whole Mar-a-Lago announcement, but I will go to inform people because I think it's important that everybody knows. Um, if you're not familiar, on um, I believe it was the 14th, so for about, about a week after the election, give or take a little, it might not have been, you know, I think it was the 14th, which would have been six days, but it might have been a little bit later than that. Um, Trump did in fact announce that he'll be running for president again in 2024. So he's currently technically on the campaign trail now. Um, regardless of how you may think about that, I did want to touch on two of the most interesting things that he said in that speech, which, um, were kind of shocking to me to hear from someone at that high of a position or running for that high of a position. He, he said directly that should he win this election, he will be working to impose term limits on members of Congress. So going into that speech, and and again, this episode is totally kind of free form and it's just me spitballing and, you know, just throwing ideas out there and kind of just going off on tangents. But hearing him say that he was going to go after term limits in Congress, that was huge to me. Previously, I, you know, I had voted for Donald Trump in the past. I will be perfectly upfront about that. 
I was really leaning towards not having him be the candidate this time. But if he continues to push that message, and I'm not saying that, you know, I'm just going to take this one time that he said this and I'm going to like hold it dear. And so I'm going to definitely vote for him. But if he pushes that message and continues applying pressure and a plan to actually instate that, that one issue is enough for me to vote for someone. If someone really is going to push hard to get term limits in Congress and make that kind of vast long-term difference, that's good enough for me. And some people may say, but what kind of damage could he do in four years? Well, the truth is, even if he did somehow manage to do worse than Biden for the next four years, which I very sincerely doubt could even be done if one was trying, um, even if he did do worse than Biden, if the one thing he got accomplished was getting term limits in Congress, the the long-term effect that would have on us for the next well, forever that the country is around is well worth four years of sacrifice, even if that's what you believe. And I believe that he would do a far better job than Biden. I don't know how much better, but definitely better. So I was thrilled to hear him say that. And he also said that he was going to do some investigations into like our three letter organizations, which if you haven't heard my episode, the three letters and lie, I highly recommend you listen to that one. I am um, not fond of our intelligence agencies, not to say that I'm unfond of the people that work for them because I have nothing against the, it's the same situation with the police. Those that, that are civilians that work, well, they're no longer civilians, but those that were normal civilians that now work within these agencies or these police departments that are doing their job, there's nothing wrong with them. I have nothing against them. I do have something against the, the system in which they work and the, the higher ups, the heads that make these decisions to infringe on American rights. If you are someone who scoffs in the face of the Constitution and enjoys it, then I have an issue with you. If you're someone that's trying to feed your family and maybe works for those organizations and does some things that you don't like, but you vocally oppose what's going on, I can still have respect for you. Um, I understand making sacrifices. I've worked in jobs that I didn't really want to work in, and I've had to, you know, buckle down and do what I got to do to keep food on the table and money in my pocket. So I understand. And this is a whole different issue. But as far as actually cleaning house on the management of these organizations like the FBI, DOJ and all that, if a candidate is willing to do that, that's another reason I'm willing to support them. So overall, um, I wish that Trump had, you know, come forward a little bit more on the COVID issue and admitted his mistakes and been honest about where he fell short. But he had some good points. He, he called out China directly. He called out the FBI and the DOJ. He called out um, the, the lack of term limits or new blood flowing through Congress. So I was very pleasantly surprised. Now, that being said, I'm also a big Ron DeSantis fan. So if DeSantis should somehow, you know, squeak out that primary, then I have no problem supporting him either. And what I don't want to see is the two of them engage in a cutthroat primary that just ends up dividing this country further for no reason. So I hope that they'll get together and work towards a common goal of improving things. So, yeah, so that was um, that that's kind of just my little segment I wanted to do on the Trump announcement and my opinion on it. And uh, again, normally, in, if you're not familiar with the show, I go into like a particular subject and really dive deep into it and share some ideas and some perspectives and find some statistics and things that relate to them. This episode is very much just me going off on a tangent for the heck of it to see if people like this format. 
um, if this gets good feedback and if people enjoy this, I might continue doing this for, you know, maybe like a one out of every five episodes, like uh, once a month kind of thing. Um, but either way, uh, I'll get into my last little segment here, which I thought would be a fun closer where I'm going to go into like Elon Musk's recent Twitter acquisition and the, the whole firestorm that started around that. And I figured it was a good tie-in with uh, Trump because one of the major things that Elon's done involves him directly. So give me just a moment and I'll get into my last segment here. So first off, let's just go into why I tied these two segments kind of in together and why I'm following this one up immediately after. Um, the biggest storm that Elon Musk has seen repercussion for so far since he's been the owner of Twitter was that he decided to reinstate Donald Trump after holding a poll in which like 51% said to with, I think it was like 15 million votes or something insane like that. Um, it was just funny because everyone's been screaming. There's been tons of news headlines. It's been on TV. It's been on all the major outlets. And the best part about it is that since he reinstated Donald Trump, he hasn't even tweeted. So they're, they're preemptively upset about him just unlocking the account, even though nothing's even been done with it, which to me is just like hilarious. They'll make the same argument in other cases where it's like, oh, well, nothing's happened yet. So that couldn't possibly be an issue. But in this case, it has to be top of the line. But um, also, uh, Elon has been engaging directly in like just random discourse with users and with all these different uh, entities and just generally blowing up the whole internet and Twitter world to the point where every time you turn on the news, there's a story about Elon Musk, which I find hilarious. And the man's just posting memes and just emojis and things and just absolutely just aggravating anyone that he possibly can. One of the biggest ones that recently happened was uh, Alyssa Milano had these posts previously before she started going after Elon Musk where she said that like, you know, that she was a big fan of him and congratulations. I love you and stuff like this. And the best part about this story isn't that if you look this up, you'll find it in Elon's tweets, but he responded to the, to the thread about how she had in the past um, supported him and said for many celebrities, it's actually their manager or team writing their tweets might be the case here, which is, Amazing because that implies that Elon Musk is himself the one writing all these tweets and doing what he's doing. Why would he call somebody out for it if he was doing it himself and open himself up to that? So what we're seeing on Twitter with Elon Musk going after people and just posting all of these hilarious memes and, and nonsense is most likely actually coming directly from him, which I find just absolutely amazing. Um, He's also been just posting some crazy stuff about Twitter releasing information on why the Hunter Biden laptop story was suppressed, which I'm fascinated about. He's going to be releasing information about advertisers that have been withholding things like with Apple. He's talking about making his own smartphone eventually if Apple and these other companies decide to remove Twitter from their stores. And it, it's really incredible to me that we've had the, this development because here you have someone who was the, the idol of the left with his electric cars and everything else just, I don't know, seven years ago, six years ago, really even two years ago. And now that he's been outspoken and has 
you know, called them out on some of the terrible things they've been doing. And again, I'm not talking about the everyday citizen on the left. I have nothing against you, the average Democratic listener who might be listening at home. I have everything against the Democratic establishment, just like I have a lot against the Republican establishment. Um, but he's been calling them out. All of these like Apple and Google and a- any of these websites and these advertisers, CNN and, and Washington Post, And it's fascinating because they're now talking about trying to remove Twitter, which is great because the the previous argument from many on the left has been, well, if you don't like something, then, you know, you should build an alternative. So here, Elon Musk legally acquired a company and is making it an alternative to these other companies. And now they want him removed because of it, because they're he's letting people back on or letting people on that they don't agree with. So, you know, free speech itself is now becoming censored. Just the idea of free speech, not even the free speech itself. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I've been really, really satisfied with what's been going on with Twitter. Uh, I, I hope that he actually follows through on what he's claiming to do, like releasing the information about the censorship on Twitter and the involvement of government agencies. And I'm also really happy to see that he's been saying one of his number one priorities is to remove the child abuse that's been taking place on Twitter through the use of, of lesser known hashtags that I will not name. Uh, so he said he replied to some comments about how, you know, for the first time Twitter is actually shutting down some of this. And he said, it's our number one priority. So, you know, I, I never try to idolize someone or put them up on a pedestal. I always try to have some hesitancy But if, again, same thing with what Trump said, if Elon Musk follows through and continues doing what he's doing and actually makes Twitter a free and open platform, then he will have my respect and my admiration. That does not mean that, you know, I'm going to fall lockstep in with anything that him or Trump say, but I am intrigued and I am impressed with what I'm seeing so far and I hope that it continues. Um, So I'll just, I'll find a couple more like tweets to just kind of mention here that were kind of funny in just a moment. Sorry for the brief pause there. I had to find the the post I was talking about with the phones. So um, Miss Liz Wheeler uh, wrote a tweet that saying, uh, if Apple and Google boot Twitter from their app stores, Elon Musk should produce his own smartphone. Half the country would happily ditch the biased snooping iPhone and Android. The man builds rocket to Mars. A silly little smartphone should be easy, right? And Elon Musk replied to that saying, I certainly hope it does not come to that. But yes, if there is no other option, I will make an alternative phone. So this is another example of when he responds to something and just kind of says, you know, look, I'm not trying to get into these fields. I'm not trying to do this. But if there's no other choices in in the interest of the American people, I'm going to do it. And this is someone who isn't even American born, who has decided to stake his reputation and, and leave his comfortable nook behind to try and make things better for the average user. And again, I've seen wolves in in sheep's clothing before, so I'm not 100% fully endorsing him. But from what I'm seeing now and from what he's been doing since he's been back on the platform, I am very hopeful that he's going to actually follow through on this stuff. And it's absolutely amazing. Um, It's just one of those things where you have somebody who was very comfortable and had no reason to to put anything at stake, but decided to do it anyway. And that's normally when I'm inclined to believe someone when they have almost nothing to gain and everything to lose. 
All right, here's another good one. If you guys didn't hear about the whole Sam Bankman-Fried situation, or Fried, I don't know how you pronounce it, with the crypto guy that everything collapsed on him, uh, maybe I'll do an episode of an in-depth analysis on that, but there's a lot of shady things involved with that. It, it's hilarious because the the guy you know committed mass fraud, essentially, and cost many people tons and tons of money, in some cases, literally millions of dollars. And the Wall Street Journal put out a tweet saying, "Sam, when Sam Bankman-Fried's crypto empire went down in flames, so did his plans to save the world. And you read the article, and it's basically them just saying how he was a philanthropist and had all these plans to do all these wonderful things. And Elon Musk responds to them, WSJ, Wall Street Journal, is giving foot massages to a criminal. <laughs> and I just, I can't get over the fact that that someone with with as much money as he has and in all of the, the realms of business and politics that he kind of walks in, just put out something just so hilariously trolling of the Wall Street Journal. And I'm not normally a big fan of trolling, but they're a joke of a publication. And the fact that he's calling them out is absolutely awesome. Hang on, give me a second. I'll find some more. All right, I'm going to finish out this episode. It's been running a little long, and I've been kind of just rambling on things. But I got one more great Elon tweet that I have to cover. So he was, uh, somebody tweeted him, uh, John M. Phillips tweeted him, I'm grateful. I'm a grateful Starlink customer. I've had a Tesla, a Tesla, appreciate SpaceX. Twitter is different at Elon Musk. I own several businesses, including a media outlet. Keep your face off that one. It's your politics, agenda, and opinions along ownership, which is the problem. It destroys trust. And that's a pretty tough like comment to respond to. And Elon Musk came back at it and said, truth over time builds trust, nothing else, period. And that is why I'm really thrilled to see him doing what he's doing. And I'm really hopeful to see what's going on. Anyway, this has been my my first uh, episode of Freeform. I think I'm going to call this a random recap or something fun like that. But uh, it's totally different from what the rest of my podcast is. So if you want to hear some like in-depth analysis on certain polit- political issues and hear some of my ideas or hear my, uh, my takes on things in the political realm, I encourage you to go and listen to my other episodes. Or if you enjoy this format, I would really like to hear some feedback on it and let me know if this is something that I should keep doing every now and then. I'm probably not going to make it a mainstay, but maybe every couple of weeks, maybe once a month. Um, anyway, please feel free to reach out with any feedback on political division reenvisioned at gmail.com. Again, that's the name of the podcast, all one word at gmail.com. Um, I hope to hear from you guys soon and I really appreciate everybody that's been listening and everybody that is listening. Uh, thank you and have a good one. This has been political division reenvisioned with your host, Nick Liberty signing off till next time. Bye guys.